Chapter 5 The sun disappeared from the afternoon sky, and hid behind a blanket of clouds, leaving the damp, tepid air heavy with moisture. Below the thick clouds lay the crippled village of Renton, its small, frail structures blackened and burned. Yet the men gathered there were far from crippled and frail. Indeed, peace and security had been torn from them, but their anger was fresh and raw, fueling a deep hunger to exact their revenge. The army of Scots remained ready in Renton, bustling about the village like agitated bees on a battered hive. They spent their time swapping supplies and conjecture, sharpening both their blades and tongues alike. The growing gathering of sweaty men and soiled horses gave off a noticeably pungent, earthy scent that filled the air. The odor hung like a fog, rife with the smell of campfire smoke, urine, and manure. The men were irritable and itching to move. It would be wrong to expect otherwise. The contemplation of war plagued their spirits and tormented their hearts, rekindling the old warrior adage, war imperils the mind, yet waiting for war imperils the soul. The saying was true, and the men could feel it deep in their bones. For in the silence of waiting for battle, they could sense, even here, death's taunting whispers, beckoning them, come. When Arabella reached Renton, the sight of the multitude overwhelmed her. She could not recall a gathering of soldiers so large. Their sheer numbers portended the awful days to follow. She coaxed her horse forward and approached the crowd of men, purposing to be strong and confident. Weaving through the clustered clans, she searched for her father. Halfway into the crowd of bodies, she recognized a group of men from Cashel. She cued her horse and trotted toward them. Pardon me, gentlemen. Is my father with you? Arabella. One of the men uttered, surprised, to see her. Your father said you were home in Cashel. Why are you here? Yes. That was my father's wish, but I had to come. I must speak with him. It's urgent. Is he here? He is. He's speaking with the other leaders, a second man said. The man glanced at his comrades before saying more. I should warn you, your father is a bit upset. Some of the men from Dumbarton have complained to him. They're angry that Alpin's gone. There have been more than a few heated arguments over the matter. Some are saying to leave for battle, but others want help from the Picts. That is why I wish to speak with him. Where can I find him? Arabella replied, raising her head to see over the pockets of men and horses. Do you see those large oak trees? The first man responded and pointed in the distance where a handful of men had gathered. He's over there. Thank you, Arabella said, giving a slight nod. She departed the men and coaxed her horse toward the large oaks. Taran's eyes fixed on Arabella the moment he glimpsed her riding toward him. He gaped at her long brown hair, watching as it fell wide across her shoulders. Her beauty struck him no less than it had the last time he had seen her. He brushed off his shirt and ran his fingers through his dirty red locks. An expanse of men stood between Arabella and the oak trees. She dismounted her horse and led the animal by the reins, weaving through the crowd. You look lost, a voice said. Then Taran suddenly appeared beside Arabella's horse. Arabella gasped and stopped where she stood. Absolutely beautiful, Taran remarked, ignoring Arabella's surprise. He cupped the side of the horse's snout with one hand and brushed its large jaw with the other. She's an absolutely beautiful animal, he concluded with a grin. I don't want you near me. 
you're not still upset from the evening at the meeting hall. I said, I don't want you near me, Arabella repeated. All right, I admit that the ale got the best of me that night. But for a lady as lovely as you, is it right to hold a grudge against a man who simply wishes to talk? You weren't simply talking that night. As I said, the ale got the best of me. Allow me to personally ask your forgiveness. I assure you, I meant no harm. You tried to have your way with me and then you fought Kenneth and his brothers. You were drunk? Drunk, no, silly, maybe, Taran said, donning a disarming smile. I meant you no harm, are you not willing to forgive? I shouldn't, Arabella replied. But you will. Taran, I just want to find my father. I'll take that as a yes. Take it as you please, Arabella snipped. I simply would like to find my father. Can you tell me where he is? It would be my privilege. Your father is with my father. They are over there, beside those trees, Taran said. He pointed to the small group of men standing by the oaks. I believe they are speaking of the Picts and how we should unite with them. Taran grinned. My father and I have nearly convinced them. Have they spoken with the Picts? No, not yet. But we will once your father and the others agree. Taran, we are running out of time. The Vikings have taken our people. Kenneth is gone, and he is out there, somewhere, trying to find them. Alpin is gone, too. We can't wait any longer. Waiting isn't the problem. Having the men to fight the Vikings is, and Alpin's leaving didn't help matters. Don't you see? We don't even know how many Vikings there are. We need Angus and his men. We need the Picts, we'll be stronger with them. We don't need the Picts to save us. Our men are able and ready. We should find the others now. Arabella exclaimed, unashamed of her defiance. As she finished her words, she recalled how she'd fought with Kenneth on this very point, but now she was on his side. She closed her eyes and sighed. Why is it that you trouble yourself with this matter? Let our fathers settle it. Taran kept his tone even and calm. Settle. Our people are prisoners. We have to help them. We have to save them. We have to save Kenneth. Isn't that what you mean? Taran corrected. This is not about Kenneth. Our people were captured by the Vikings. We must save them. Taran eyed Arabella, his demeanor growing more brazen. Have you not heard of the bodies scattered about this very village? Have you not seen the burnt devastation of what once was Renton? It's an ash heap. The savages who raided Renton will not give up and simply surrender when we find them. They could have a thousand men ready to fight, ready to crush Dalriada. We would be wise to unite with the Picts if we hope to defeat them. Only a fool would run head first into such an army and expect victory, and Alpin tried it with four men. Taran finished and awaited a response. Arabella only stared at him. She said nothing. These animals kill simply for the thrill of it. They're not cowards who turn from a fight. They'll seize Alpin and the others, rend them limb from limb, and leave their bodies to rot for the birds to feast upon. You don't understand this enemy, they take pleasure in destruction. We must join the Picts, there's no other way. Arabella had no reply. The cold reality struck hard. Memories of the slaughter of her parents returned. 
flashes of Kenneth and the Vikings in Renton rushed through her mind and tore at what was left of her fragile hope. She recalled the sunset she'd shared with Kenneth. How the rain had come, driving the two to their rock shelter on the hillside. She remembered falling asleep beside him, protected from the rain and the world. Her thoughts shifted to Renton's thick grey smoke and the silhouette of the man she loved. She saw Kenneth with Renton burning behind him. His distant promise of return still echoed in her ears. Arabella felt as if she would cry. But she wouldn't. The muscles in her gut tightened, and she clamped the side of her lip in her teeth. Kenneth disappeared from her mind. I must see my father, she said, now glaring at Taran. She extinguished her gaze, tugged the reins of her horse, and stepped to move past him. Taran extended his hand in a bow, smiled, and permitted her to pass. Father, Arabella shouted over the buzz of the men as she moved toward Constantine. Constantine lifted his eyes without halting his conversation with Luog and two others. He briefly glanced in her direction before pausing to look again. Arabella, it's you. What are you doing here? You seem unhappy to see me, she said as she approached. The furrow on his brow faded, and he worked to form a smile. Darling, I'm always happy to see you. But I thought we agreed you'd stay in Cashel. Is everything all right? Arabella frowned, well, nothing is all right. But I am not hurt or ill, if that's what you mean. I know you wanted me to remain in Cashel, but I couldn't stay any longer not alone. I couldn't stop thinking of Kenneth and the others. I had to come and see Ina and Siana. I know it's hard, darling. And I agree, it's not good for you to be overwhelmed with worry, especially not while you're alone, Constantine replied. Maybe it would be best for you to stay with Ina and Siana. There's more, father? More. I see the men and I hear them talking, but father, aren't we going to do something? What about Kenneth and Aiden? What about Nessa, and the others? Shouldn't we go after them? Constantine took Arabella by the arm and stepped away from the oak trees and the noise of the men. Arabella, this is a difficult situation, surely you see that. I assure you, we are taking the matter very seriously. I know you are worried about Kenneth and the others, so am I. But Alpin has left with Chorich, Ronan, and Les. We are waiting for. That's my point, father. We keep waiting. Arabella interrupted. I saw Ina. I saw how this is tearing her apart. We have to do something. Arabella, you don't understand. It is not that simple. Half of these men are determined that we should join the Picts. We are working to find agreement, we. But father, what about Kenneth and his family? They are our family, too. Can't you do something? That's enough, Arabella. Constantine insisted. His anger swelled, yet his heart broke as he stared into his daughter's eyes and saw her hopelessness. Darling, I've tried to reason with you, but you're letting your feelings for Kenneth cloud your judgment. That is why I wanted you to stay in Cashel. I'm not a child anymore, father. Stop treating me as one. Well, maybe you should, Constantine stopped himself. I should what, father? I should stop acting as a child? No, Arabella, it's simply, he hesitated. It's what, father? Constantine took a deep breath. I was only going to say that I understand how you feel. 
I understand the pain of losing someone you love. Arabella, we lived through this together when we lost Senga. Arabella shuddered when hearing her father's words. She stared at Constantine, the man who saved her life, the man who brought her back to life. His love for her was unconditional, he'd proven it. She gazed at him as a stirring sadness hung in his eyes. I'm sorry, father. I guess down deep there is still a young girl inside. I'm sorry. Constantine's cheek lifted and a fragmented smile formed on the side of his mouth. I know that none of this is easy. I'm, I'm glad you came, it's good to see my little girl. Arabella hugged him. I love you, she said. I love you, too. Arabella lifted her gaze and searched her father's eyes. She paused. Now can I ask if you are going to search for Kenneth and the others? Constantine smirked and shook his head in disbelief. My Arabella, always the strong-willed one. Why don't you visit Ina and Siana and let me work with the men to find the others? You have to trust me. Arabella nodded. I do, father. I do. Kenneth opened his eyes. The late afternoon rain had passed, but Kenneth's hollowness remained. The muscles in his back throbbed as he sat pressed against the hard wooden post of the prison. He rubbed his face to wake himself. As he moved, his chains clanked and the sound stirred a visceral ache in his gut. He peered at his hands and then at the irons clasped around his ankles. How long can this go on? The thought echoed in his head. Pushing his hands against his knees, he rose to his feet. The sound of activity, and the chatter of voices hummed behind Kenneth. Just beyond the wooden prison, two fire pits blazed, each sporting a full-size buck roasting over the open flames. A small army of Vikings at nearby, arrayed on a row of short, clumpy logs lined beside several long wooden tables. From appearances, the Vikings were eager to feast. The men at the tables were joined by a constant flow of brutes streaming into the fort from a horse corral on the far side of the courtyard. The aroma of the meat cooking over the fire seemed to call to the horde like a dinner bell. The alluring scent of roasting venison bathed Kenneth's nostrils and made his stomach rumble. He could not remember the last time he'd eaten. At the moment, he was willing to eat anything, and a serving of venison would be nothing short of a delicacy. Kenneth sidled along the wall of the enclosed pen, staring between the wooden posts at the men at the tables. He envied them as they pulled the meat from the deer's hindquarters and devoured the meal without a thought. To Kenneth, even the leftover scraps would have been a feast. Glancing at the pitiful frames of the resident captives, he realized he wasn't the only one in want of food. Certainly, they would have to be fed if they were expected to haul logs and stones for any period of time, if that was what the Vikings truly intended. Kenneth glanced, toward the entry of the pen. Outside the gate-like door that sealed the prison, two guards sat muttering to one another. Neither appeared too concerned about the meal. They'd likely already had their fill. Kenneth gazed back toward the fires and the deer cooking above the flames. At that moment, a particular Viking pushed away from his table and ambled toward the fire. Kenneth reckoned the man was his father's age. He was of average height and build for a Viking and carried himself like a seasoned warrior, rugged in appearance. His head was bald and on his scalp, above his left ear, was a large reddish-brown birthmark. The discolored splotch was roughly the size of a man's palm and bore the resemblance of a fox head. Kenneth watched the man as he moved toward the fire. There, 
The man pulled a knife from his belt and stepped beside the roasting deer. He inspected the meat and cut a second helping for himself. A group of men at a nearby table grumbled, and the bald man returned their groans with grunts of his own. No one responded. The man strode back to his stump, carrying his slab of hot meat with the tip of his knife. As much as Kenneth tried, he couldn't pull his attention from the feasting. He resented the men, gaping at them as they devoured their food and fed their gluttonous bellies. They ate like wolves, suspiciously glancing at one another as they tore into the meat, hardly swallowing before they ripped off another bite. Grunting and chewing, chewing and grunting, they rarely spoke. When they did speak, Kenneth couldn't understand a word. It was gibberish to his ears, and he wondered how they were able to speak Dalryadan when they desired to do so. He realized there was more to the Vikings than he knew, and that the stories he'd heard were true, this wasn't their first encounter with Dalryadans. Studying the savages, he noticed their tendency of shoving one another and making brief challenges as a show of stature. If a man did speak, it was apparently to deride another. The exchanges were often followed by others joining in, mocking and chiding, while the ridiculed victim responded with insults of his own. Kenneth stirred from his days when three women appeared in his line of sight. They emerged from behind a curtain that filled the doorway of a small, hut-like structure built into the wall of the fortress. The women were captives and appeared to be Dalryardans, though Kenneth had never seen them before. The women carried pitchers of water and moved among the tables to serve the men. When the women found themselves caught between the tables, a game began. Each time the women would bend to pour water, the men would grab at them. When the women pulled away, the men would erupt in laughter and lure them back to pour again. Kenneth brooded behind his wooden prison posts. His blood pulsed in his veins. He hated the men. Then he thought of Nessa and how she could have been one of the women. And he hated the men even more. Kenneth continued to watch as two of the women poured the last of their water and hurried back through the curtain into the safety of the hut. When the third woman finished, she twisted through the maze of tables and headed toward the shelter. Being alone, she was easy prey. And being young and comely didn't help. Her strawberry blonde hair crowned her head and curled down either side of her shapely chest, accentuating her figure and arousing the testosterone-filled brutes. Weaving through the last of the tables, the men's advances became more ravenous. The woman dodged their predatory palms and she quickened her pace. Passing the final table, a thick beast of a man with hairy arms and a bush-like beard turned in his seat to meet her. He reached for her and clutched his arms around her waist. As he pulled her to him, she slapped at him and tried to break free. The men catcalled with excitement. She likes you, Magnus, one man yelled to the brute. More cheers erupted. Kenneth's muscles tightened and he wanted to fight. The man called Magnus, squeezed the young woman against his chest. Then he stuck out his tongue and tried to lick her cheek as she wrestled to escape. Kenneth clutched the wooden posts of the prison, his knuckles whitening in his grip. He tugged on the posts. They didn't budge. Stop. Stop it. His shouts fell like whispers on his enemy's ears. The hairy man held his trophy tight in his hands, pinning the woman's arms to her side. He shouted to the others, Magnus has found a wife. A ruckus of jeers and howls echoed from the tables. Humiliated, the woman pried at the man's hands to free herself, yet she labored in vain. Refusing to surrender, she arched her back and lifted her leg. With a sudden thrust, she plunged her knee into the Viking's groin. 
Magnus gulped for air. Stooping in pain, he released his prize. Then he stumbled backwards and fell, knocking over a table on his descent. The men roared. Magnus the fallen, a man shouted. Magnus rose to his feet, glaring at the feisty redhead. You shouldn't have done that little lady, he growled. Then he lunged for the woman, but never reached her. The bald man with the fox birthmark had interceded. The overturned table was his, and his meat now lay soiled on the ground. Clutching Magnus' shoulder, the bald man yanked and turned him. In a blink, the rugged man landed a hard punch to the face of the bearded brute, and the mighty Magnus fell like a sack of flour. The men rushed from their seats and circled the two, hooting and yelling for Magnus to stand. He didn't. The bald man muttered, spat on Magnus, and sauntered away. Kenneth witnessed it all. He studied the victor as he departed, staring at the man's unusual birthmark. He would call the man Fox. Fox vanished through the crowd of men and disappeared from Kenneth's sight. Kenneth turned to search for the woman, but she was gone. Damn bastards! The angry burst came from Kenneth's left. Kenneth spun and there beside him stood a large, thick man tugging at the posts of the pen. The man grasped the wooden bars and bent his head toward the ground like a bull ready to charge. He spat and began to mumble to himself. Kenneth watched the man as he carried on with his cursing. After finishing his tirade, the big man peered at Kenneth. Kenneth said nothing. The man released his grip of the posts and continued to stare. You know the woman? Kenneth asked, unsure if he wanted an answer. I'll kill him, one day I kill him. The man said. The large Scot looked to be ten years older than Kenneth and was several inches taller. He had a scraggly beard, thick along the sideburns and chin, but thin and patchy on his cheeks and neck. His hair was brown and wavy and matched the bushy eyebrows that framed his sunken eyes. Kenneth glanced over his shoulder at the men dispersing from the tables, then he gazed back at the large man in front of him. Is this what they do to our women, whatever they please? Kenneth asked. They won't if I can stop them, the man said. If God grants me the chance, one day I'll kill them. His tone was firm and resolute. You're angry, I feel the same. What's your name? Kenneth asked. The large Scot stepped toward Kenneth. He extended his arm. Kenneth raised his chained wrists to return the greeting. I am Durell, son of Bethan, from the north region of Dalriada. I am Kenneth, son of Alpin of Renton, from the land south of Loch Lomond, I wish I were there now, Kenneth replied. His chin dropped and his eyes lowered as he remembered what was left of his home. We were devastated, worse, I lost my brother to these pigs. Kenneth blurted out. He wasn't sure he wanted to speak of Aidan, but his words came without thinking. Sorry to hear that, the large Scot replied. Our village was destroyed as well. People close to me died, many in the attack and some later on as they brought us here. The three women you saw, they are from my village. The one they were after is my cousin, Rhiannon. Her father and brother were both killed protecting her. I promise you, I will kill any man who hurts her, or I'll die trying. Durell glared at the hut where the women were housed, and he shook his head. Kenneth eyed the large man. He seemed to have meant what he'd said. Kenneth figured he had little regard for his own preservation possibly he didn't fear the Vikings, or he didn't fear dying, or both. 
Kenneth's anger had dulled enough for his hunger to return. Do they feed us here, or are we supposed to eat each other? He asked. We only get what they pass over. Bread and potatoes, usually we get them when night comes, at dark. Beans at times, but not often. We've had meat only once. They feed us just enough to keep us from falling dead. I saw several captives working when they brought us here. I suppose they use us as slaves. To them, we are nothing but slaves. For you, it will be either rocks or trees, Darrell said. Rocks or trees. You will either be taken to the rock quarry to carry stone or sent to the forest to cut and haul trees. You'll do it from sunrise till sundown. And you'll need every bit of bread and potatoes that you can eat just to stay alive. Darrell studied Kenneth, sizing him up and down. Based on your build and age, I'd say they'll have you work the trees. Then Darrell gestured toward Kenneth's chains, you won't be able to use an axe with those, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll work you in the rock quarry instead. Kenneth stared at the shackles binding his wrists. Why the chains for you? None of your other people have them, Darrell asked. That was a hard question, one Kenneth didn't care to explain. With reticence, Kenneth spoke. I tried to save my brother. But I couldn't. Kenneth shook his head, angry with himself. It was my fault he was captured, I tried to free him, everything went wrong, it should have never happened. Kenneth turned from Darrell. He'd lost interest in talking. You know this isn't over. You lost your brother, but you can't give in. Kenneth didn't respond. You and I are still alive. We can't let it end here. Durrell said. Kenneth turned and peered at Durrell. You're going to have to fight to keep your head square, Durrell said. No matter what happens, don't lose courage, someday you'll need it. Kenneth closed his eyes and lowered his head. Durrell stared at Kenneth for a long moment then walked away. Kenneth opened his eyes and gazed through the wooden posts imprisoning him. He grabbed hold of the posts and squeezed them in his hands. He hated the place. Standing in solitude, he made a promise to himself that he would not let them break him. That he would do as Durrell said, he would hold on to courage. His thoughts traveled far away to his father, to Chorich, and to his family. Will they find us here, in the middle of God knows where? Will we still be alive if they do find us? Can we even defeat these animals? The thoughts passed, and no answers came. He reflected on days long ago, days of growing up with his brothers. As boys, they owned nothing but had everything. Life was free, joyful, and full of hope. They had so much ahead of them, dreams to pursue and adventures to live. Freedom, joy, hope, all gone. Kenneth considered hope, such a precious treasure. It takes much to tear it down, but once gone, only God himself can resurrect it. The sun was leaving Kenneth. The fading sunset stirred his memory of Arabella, sitting with him on the grassy hilltop west of Renton. He remembered that night. It was a night he would never forget. He missed her badly. To see her, to smell her, to touch her, he wanted to hold her. Arabella, where are you now? Safe below the distant stars. He whispered in wonder. He prayed she was all right, safe in her far-off home in Cashel, many miles away. The growling returned to his stomach. His mind cleared, and he stared out beyond the wooden posts, still clutched in his hands. 
he gazed at the doll fire and the picked-over carcass hanging above it. Surely they would be fed now that darkness was coming.